From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Today we dig into a topic near and dear to Inga Witcher, running a diversified farm business. Women can talk to each other and support each other with new ideas, sums up Inga. Hear about ideas she tried, like a farmstead B&B and growing garlic, that turned out weren't right for her and brought learning along the way. Inga Witcher is a fourth-generation dairy farmer who owns and operates a small micro-dairy in western Wisconsin, turning the milk from her eight grass-fed cows into a raw milk cheddar at St. Isidore's Farmstead Creamery. Inga is also the co-creator and host of the PBS series, Around the Farm Table, highlighting Midwestern farms and artisan food producers through education and entertainment. We are back with Ingo Witcher, and I was about to like give your your title, Inga, but you have so many things you do. You farm here, you do dairy, you're the host of Around the Farm Table on Wisconsin Public Television, and you've done a variety of things, and I think that's in a really good way, one of these things that that we women farmers champion is doing a lot of different things, right? And we don't have just one one job description, one title. And I wish I honestly had some stats behind it because I see it in our Moses Boots project. I see it in my women farmer writing that women really thrive in diversity and really model mother nature in our lives, in our businesses by not having one thing going on. Now, arguably, some people, my dear husband might say too many things going on, or, you know, it's always that we can talk about that. It's always a balance, right, of all of those ideas. But it's that embracing of that we don't want to put all our eggs in one basket, literally, right? And 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 as you have such a positive attitude towards innovation and trying new things and and risk and managing risk through taking risk on, right? So, Tell me about just maybe sort of your your philosophy on that of when new ideas pop in your head, what what do you initially think? Or do you Well, I wonder if women have that because we can talk to each other mm. and we can have those conversations and say, Well, what do you think? And you know we don't tell each other we're crazy. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, stop. Exactly. Or say, Well, that's not how it's been done for the last hundred and fifty years. Said a woman to a woman never. Yes. Exactly. And I think, you know, uh, I met you and Chris Marion years and years ago, and you guys both have bed and breakfast. And at the time I really needed some extra money and I thought well, this is going to, you guys make it look really easy. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I'm just going to get the house clean and invite people to the house. And it was a lot more work than I ever thought. <laughs> I mean, cleaning yeah. was one thing. I'm not the best housekeeper. The other thing was just having to give your attention to the guests, not like just 24 hours a day, like, okay, oh, and here's this or here's, and then, oh, can I follow you around and look at the stuff? And it's like, 
It seemed like this was a good idea at the time, but now I really just need to get this done. So if you can just have a cocktail over in the garden, that'd be great. <laughs> you know? But uh, but but you don't know until uh, you're there. You don't know until you're there. And and I think when I was speaking with you guys, you said, "Hey, don't go out and get your license yet. You can try it. You can try the bed and breakfast up to ten times. I think it is before you yeah, have to get Wisconsin, a license." Yeah, in Wisconsin, and most states have something similar. Well, there's. Bed and breakfast legislation, you know, the rules that you go through to get approved by the state. But most have a minimum because the state's not going to want to come out and inspect you if you're doing it one night. So, yeah, in Wisconsin, that magic night is 10. Yeah. And it was – if my house was different, I would possibly do it again because it was it, – well, it was really fun making breakfast for people. Oh, the, and fun, yeah, the people. be really excited about it afterwards. <laughs> Uh, and just, you know, and also, you know, it is great to show people the farm and have that experience, but my house just isn't set up for it. And I'm not here a lot during, well, in the past couple of years, I, I work a lot on the weekends doing cooking demonstrations to help bring an income into the farm. So, and I found that is a great niche for me to do Mm -hmm. instead of doing the uh, bed and breakfast. And my husband's always under your income. Yes. Yeah. And that has been really I don't get paid a ton with a television series, but I can use that as a platform. So what I found now is I can use that status of being on TV to bring in an income from doing these cooking demonstrations and going out and meeting people. And it's, I love it. uh, And it really helps pay those bills. And one supports the other. Exactly. You're out there talking about the show. The show brings people in. And And, I mean, I think my main goal is to have the farm uh, give me enough income that I don't have to have six other jobs. But we'll see. You know, I mean, everything takes time, right? Yeah. It's just, that's, that's unfortunately, or fortunately, maybe that's what farming is, is you have to really think outside of the box and do different things. A few years ago, we decided to try garlic. That's one thing that I've always wanted to do. Back in my home state of Washington, the, there was a, um, a hippie community that would always have a huge garlic festival every year. And that's how they made the majority of their income. And I love garlic. I, you know, why use one clove of garlic? That's just <laughs> ridiculous when you should be using 10 million. I love garlic. And I thought that's something that I can do on my 30 acres. One of my big limits here is trying to dairy farm on 30 acres. That's not a lot of acreage to be able to get your hay off of, be able to graze all year round. So I had to kind of say, and I beat myself up for years. I said, well, I can't be successful farming unless I have 300 acres. It'll never work. Poor, poor me, blah, blah, blah. And then we started doing the show and I started meeting all these folks that were making it work on 10 acres, five acres. And I thought to myself, girl, you have 30 acres. That's a lot. (laughs) And so that was one of the things I said, okay, I'm going to take out a half acre and put in garlic. And so I did that for several years. For for, for cloves, for eating. Yep. And then I would open up the farm once a year. I did this, well, two years in a row. I'd open up the farm. And because it was a regular farm business transaction, just like if I had a vegetable stand on my front yard. I didn't have to pay extra insurance for that. If I called it anything different, if I sold tickets to it or anything else, I would have to pay a huge amount of insurance. So we started out doing it saying, okay, let's just see what this, see how the this goes. The one-time event sometimes falls through the cracks and you can yeah. try things. So that's great. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you don't have to spend my, it, my initial, uh, what did I spend? I think $2,300 on my seed garlic. And that lasted me for two years. I made the money back in the first year. And then I made money the second year. Not a ton of money, but, you know, 3000 bucks or something. And which selling is... Selling it over one weekend. Sell, selling it over one yeah. weekend. Yeah. So that was great. 
my poor parents had to be there helping me. My husband, you plant the garlic in the uh, October is when we planted it. And he's like, I'd love to help, but it's uh, bow season. So uh, I'll see you later. I think he was smart to get out of it. It's a lot of, you know, it's just with everything else. Yeah. It's just it. Well, it's at the end of the season when we do a lot of garlic. You're not motivated. Right? You're not motivated. Yeah. But yeah. Exactly. But exactly. Yeah. But so, and then we decided... Uh, to put a hold on that just because I didn't want to, I knew that I was going to have to put money into equipment uh, and put money into a cultivator. And I just didn't think that it's hard balancing what I have time for with doing these different things and what I can say, okay, I really want to spend this money to do this. And then one of my best friends started growing garlic at the same time. So I thought, let him grow it. He's got more time than I do. He's got the, he built his own cultivator for it. So I thought, well, I can help him sell that. That's something I can do. He can spend the money on the equipment. He knows how to fix all that stuff and retrofix that stuff. So now I can pair up with him in future years and be the person that can sell it for him. Yeah. And that, and what you did was a good experience, right? I mean, and you weren't going in debt. It wasn't a no. huge investment cash-wise, but there was learning and you tried it. And that's what... And it's, it's all fun. About. It's so fun. That's what I love most about farming is that you can try different things. Next year, I might try a pumpkin batch. I don't know. Just try things. And my neighbors, they're all traditional farmers. They're all 70 plus. And boy, do they love it when I do these things so they can just talk about me behind my back like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of a motivation too. Is so just you hear what Ingo's doing. Exactly. <laughs> they're hanging out at the Norsky Nook over here. Going, yeah, yeah. No, but but that is good too. It gets people thinking and talking and uh, it, it uh, it's what it's all about. So, but but that's a great example of tr- if you, when people have these ideas, especially women farmers, and is there a way to scale it to the point that you could test it and not invest in the sense of going into debt or, you know, they're manageable investments like you just explained with the garlic and see where it goes. Uh-huh. Same thing with like your Around the Farm Table show. You started it small. You had no we started with ten, image of where we'd be, minute, right? No, we started with 10-minute short videos and we built it from there into our episodes are 26 minutes for whatever PBS standards they are. But so we... we Built things small, small. And also when we started making cheese, we were making it at a different facility. We were testing out the market. So we were saying- we, So you didn't build a creamery from the start. We didn't build a creamery from the start. We tested it out. And one thing is, is I don't want to compete with every other cheese maker in the United States. I want to be different. I want to be a farmstead cheese. That's what I really believe in. And I want to be in a high-end market. And it took me a long time to not be embarrassed about that, to say, well- you know, and when I, I want to sell my cheese for $40 a pound and that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I'm saying. Took a long time to say, well, that's okay. You know what I it's mean? special cheese. Well, and also why shouldn't we be able to sell products for what we need to make for the, the time and effort that we put into doing these projects? And I hope that the listeners will hear that you're worth it. What you're doing on your farm is worth it. You don't need to cut costs for anybody else. You have a product, people can pay what what that product is worth. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's sometimes rethinking how we do things from a culinary perspective. So where we are down in Greene County, big cheese producing area, highest cheese producing county in the country, and a lot of Swiss um, immigrants first came. So it still has a strong Swiss cultural vibe and Swiss people historically making cheese still, but I learn a lot from the Swiss cheesemakers by me because still a lot of them have very strong European roots. And 
how Europeans value cheese. And the general gist they were telling me is in Europe, obviously they make good cheese too. They eat 80% of their cheese and they cook with 20% of it. But in America, we it's the opposite. We cook with 80% of our cheese and we eat 20%. Yeah, did I get that right? Yeah. So we're, and I was like, that's totally me. And I'm just sort of sticking mozzarella on a pizza. I'm not thinking about quality. And he was trying to sell me his like, 1599 pound Parmesan. I was like, that's too expensive. No, no, no. You don't need much of it because it has strong flavor. And it's really changed my outlook on it. And we don't need more cheese. We need better cheese. Exactly. And cheese coming from, from, well, I think from smaller dairies. Mm -hmm. One thing that I love about what I'm doing. And again, it's funny when you're telling your story, when you're telling your farm story or you're doing these things, it's, I find it sometimes difficult to have the confidence in it. And I'm trying to, I've noticed I've been trying to convince people lately, but this is what I'm doing on the farm and this is why it's great. We fence off habitat for the birds and the bugs and different species. We let all those native flowers come up. We're not grazing there. We let our elderberries come up. We, you know, do certain things so that we're thinking about the land. We're thinking about the cow's happiness. My cows are named. I downsized. Now I have 10 cows. They all have names. I'm letting the moms and the babies be with each other while the babies need to nurse. And I have a relationship with them. And I want to make, I want to take this, the best product I can make, which is this milk and put it into cheese. And that cheese is going to change every month because it's going to be a little bit different depending on what the cows are grazing on. And that's what makes me really happy. And I, I, you know, I want people to know when you're supporting this farm, you're supporting one farm family and her dad who's going to be the cheesemaker when she can't make cheese. And you're supporting these 10 cows and you're supporting the bobolinks and the meadowlarks and the bats and clean water. So when you put your money into these products, you're, it's so much more than just buying uh, American cheese, you know, the sliced American cheese at the store, which yeah. my husband loves to eat for some reason. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. But yeah, no, totally, totally. And so on the, the creamery note, you've done different things. Like you were saying, you rented a creamery I mean, versus building one right mm-hmm. now and, and tested the waters. But now you're at the stage where you are building your own on farm. Yes. And we're going to be able to buy your cheese. Yeah. Soon. Yes. So we're hopefully going to be finished up. Uh, well, I, dry, I just dried the cows up. So t- last November, when we were days away from finishing, we were building our creamery inside of another building. And the day before our equipment arrived... Our contractor had a heater in the barn and for it sparked with whatever sort of um, sealer was on the floor. And so we woke up, the whole barn was burned. Mm. And it was already stressful going into this time because I downsized the cows right as the whole dairy industry went kaputz. So nobody would pick up my milk. I couldn't get anybody to pick. You know, I, I stopped shipping organic because I sold that herd to another family that was getting started with organic. And I bought in some conventional cows because I want to start... Uh, a breeding program with my cows. So I bought in some specific cows that are the, you know, good breeding stock and they're registered cows. I also want to start showing cows eventually and building up my genetics on the farm. So I brought in a new herd of cows, couldn't find a market for my milk. So we were milking cows every day for two years, literally two years and dumping it morning and night, going out to the barn, milking cows and just dumping out in the field. And there's nothing more depressing than that. Sure. And then bringing in $10,000 worth of feed 
so we can feed those cows over the winter so we can dump that there, there are cheaper pets if you want to <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. I know. No, but, <laughs> but now <laughs> but i was thinking okay in the spring we're gonna have that creamery so in what year is it now 2019 so i thought we would be making cheese in may of 18 and then with weather everything else that just got pushed back pushed back pushed back finally november of last year we're getting finished the whole thing burns up and i was just like well there you go. <laughs> and, but it was, uh, it, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, our cows, luckily were grazers. So all of our animals, except for our babies were outside. Oh, that's so a real were, blessing. Yeah. <laughs> and the fire department was saying, all the guys are farmers and they're like, well, did you put your cows out on purpose? And they said, no, my cows stay out 24 hours a day. <laughs> this isn't an insurance thing. <laughs> uh, so, and now we're rebuilding. And so we've got the we're, we've got everything up, but we're starting to put tin on today. So it's very exciting. <laughs> Excellent. And that'll be open next year in 2020. Yep. And this will be really a inspiring model of what a small-scale family-run dairy with value-added and a creamery can do. Right? This we want more of these. You want to multiply. Yes. <laughs> well, look, at I was lucky enough to go to France, and we went to small producers. We went to the small uh, goat cheese producer over here, the small winery over here, the small chocolate maker, and people go there for that reason. There is no reason people shouldn't be coming to Wisconsin to go try the different cheeses of the region or uh, going to the fermentation fest or you know, and trying these different things that we have going on here. This could be a destination for tourists, and I, you know, that might be something that's going to uplift the agriculture. But I talked to a lot of farmers now. I just was down at a event, and I this woman, she came up to me. She says, "I've been milking cows for thirty years. I just got a letter in the mail. They're no, not going to pick my milk up anymore." And she looked at me. She goes, "What do I do?" And it wasn't like a rhetorical question. And I was just like, "I don't know." And she goes, "Well, what are you going to do?" And I says, well, I don't, you know, have a couple of off-farm jobs and make cheese is what I'm going to do. And there's, that's all I can tell you. But hopefully we can, hopefully when my nephews who are kids, when they want to take over a farm, if that's what they want to do, they'll have hope and they'll have a, a way to do that. And it's, too, what you're doing is going to be an example. And mm -hmm. you're so wonderfully transparent as honestly, we women in this sustainable ag world are of sharing things so you've talked you said you're at diana murphy's at dream farm mm -hmm. the other day and we just share what we learn and it's not it totally defies traditional business models in that if you went to business school right and why would you share with people what you're doing and they're going to start another farmstead but yeah it's going to be down the road you know people are going to come and visit both places or other parts of the state like you're just mentioning and it's learning together it's so, that we're going to strengthen our state and our economy. So and also, I find that the women, especially in this state, I mean, this is where I live now, we lift each other up. And it's never, we're never in competition. It's never, oh, well, boy, look at that. It's, hey, try this. I tried this. This might work for you. Or what do you think? Or, hey, uh, do you need to talk? You know, are you having a bad day? We lift each other up, which is really wonderful. Well, I'm glad Chris and I got you to try the B&B &B path, but now we can come and support your cheese. So it's all good. <laughs> Terrific. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. 
The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable, organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.